All right, joining us now in the program for what I hope will be many visits is John Stauber. Mr. Stauber is the founder and executive director of the Center for Media and Democracy and the co-author, along with Sheldon Rampton, of both Toxic Sludge is Good for You and Banana Republicans, How the Far Right is Turning America into a One-Party State. Welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you, Doug. I'm happy to be on. Now, uh, in the news of late, there's been much, uh, much about video news releases. It seems to be taking uh, uh, a lot of people by surprise that the Bush administration was caught directly producing the news. Uh, in Toxic Sludge is Good for You, which dates back to 1995, um, anyone who read the book would not be surprised to, to learn about VNRs. That's right. VNRs, uh, I think, should just be called fake news. Uh, what we're really talking about with VNRs are news stories that are prepared by former journalists now working in the public relations industry, uh, paid for by clients ranging from major corporations like uh, Monsanto or Shell Oil to government agencies, the Defense Department, uh, Homeland Security. And these news stories are given to TV networks and TV stations who air them as if they were the work of journalists, as if they were real news done by real TV journalists. Instead, what's happening is real TV journalists are taking news stories prepared by special interests in the government or in corporations and running them during news programs as if they were real news. Now, uh, we had someone on this show not, not too long ago who works in local television, and when I asked him about uh, video news releases, he said, well, we don't, we don't use those sorts of things. I've never, <laughs> I've never even heard of them. That is the standard response, and it's been the standard response for 10 years. Uh, what's really broken this open, of course, has been uh, the uh, documented use by the U.S. government of video news releases, beginning with uh, the Karen Ryan reporting video news releases of a year ago, and most recently uh, the uh, major uh, Sunday New York Times expose uh, about how the Bush administration over the last four years has spent over one quarter billion dollars on public relations propaganda, including the production and distribution of hundreds of VNRs. And one of the discoveries of the New York Times reporters uh, was exactly uh, what this person told you, that when confronted with their rampant use of unlabeled, unidentified fake news stories, uh, TV producers and news directors almost always say, we don't use them, uh, they're not at our station, or if you catch them uh, using one, they'll call it an exception. But the reality is that thousands of these are uh, produced every year, and virtually every TV news director uh, in the country uh, uses them unlabeled. And what was interesting in the New York Times piece, too, is that there's payola involved. The PR companies that are producing these uh, are paying distribution fees now to the networks. The networks are putting these out in their own uh, news stream to their affiliates, so sometimes when the news uh, directors and producers at the affiliates say they had no idea it was a video news release, they're telling the truth because it came to them with all the other feeds from the networks. And, and what's happening with these VNRs 
is that there's a understanding, a clear uh, understanding uh, in the PR industry that no matter how they label them or provide them, uh, they're going to be aired without labeling. If you're watching uh, the television news and it goes to a commercial break and there's a commercial from a drug company about some new drug they're promoting, hopefully you have a skeptical attitude because the drug companies probably got hundreds of millions invested in this drug and they hope to make that much. Uh, but then if it switches back to uh, a TV news program and you see a news report on the drug, lauding the drug, interviewing uh, scientific experts and doctors about how great the drug is, uh, interviewing uh, patients about how helpful the drug is, uh, and it looks like it's just real reporting, you tend to think, well, I, I guess a lot of the claims in the commercial were too. Here's a, a report by journalists uh, concluding that this is a great drug. That report was almost certainly a video news release. Uh, fake news paid for by the drug company and aired by the stations. Now, if the stations were to simply label that, then it would be clear. If it said uh, provided by uh, the Mer Merck Pharmaceutical Company uh, video news release, and that was on uh, all the while that this was playing, you'd think, well, you know, how can I trust this? It's from uh, the drug company. That's why they're not labeled. And the PR firms understand that the TV news directors and producers will not label them. But what's going on here? It's very simple. The TV news stations, the TV stations get to lay off real journalists who would be out there uh, investigating issues in the community, hopefully, and putting together reports and stories. They get to lay those people off and just replace them with anyone who can take and edit uh, and air these video news releases. Yes, you point out in the first chapter of Toxic Sludge is Good for You, a book which I would uh, at this moment like to plug once again in this program. We think that it should be on everyone's bookshelf. I think very, very highly of your effort from, from 1995, sir. Thank you. But in your first chapter, you said that the PR industry claims it is simply participating in the democratic process and con contributing to public debate. In reality, the industry carefully conceals most of its activities from public view. Absolutely, and, and that's come out with, uh, finally, this major expose about video news releases. Um, it's, it's hidden. We don't know when we watch the news uh, what's a video news release, what's a fake news story provided by a PR firm, and uh, what's a news story actually uh, done by the journalists at the station because the stations are colluding with the PR firms and their clients to air this public relations as news. There's a saying that the best PR and the best propaganda is invisible. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say if you know that it's public relations, it's bad public relations. It only really works uh, when you don't know that somebody, uh, some special interest, be it the government or a major corporation, is trying to manage and manipulate your perception. Uh, once you understand, oh, I'm being spun, uh, then it all sort of falls apart. So uh, it's critical for these uh, fake news stories, these VNRs, for them not to be labeled, for them to work as public relations, because the whole a key to this little scam is that the PR company is putting the message of their client in the mouth of a journalist who the viewer is more likely to trust.
it's setting off quite a battle in the government. It appears that Congress's uh, watchdog arm, the General Accounting Office, has said this is illegal covert propaganda and the government should knock off this uh, cutting out the middleman. But the Bush administration is fighting back through the Office of Management and Budget saying the GAO doesn't know what they're talking about. This is legal. We're going to keep doing it. Right. And uh, the General Accounting Office, the Government uh, Accounting Office, knows exactly uh, what it speaks of when it says that these video news releases are covert propaganda. Uh, what's interesting about the public relations industry, and public relations is just a nice euphemism for propaganda that was invented, the word was invented, uh, by the man most people consider the father of spin, the father of the PR industry, Eddie Bernays. Uh, he came out of what was... Uh, the largest and most successful uh, propaganda campaign ever by the U.S. government, the Woodrow Wilson effort to get the United States into World War I at a time when uh, the majority of Americans were overwhelmingly against going over to Europe to fight in that war. And Wilson himself had just been reelected as the man who kept us out of war. So this idea of... Uh, Propaganda, propagandizing the public uh, to get uh, them behind a war really resulted in the public relations industry. People like Eddie Bernays and Ivy Lee, who worked on that, said afterward, gee, you know, if we can sell a war to the American public, think what we can do for the tobacco industry. Uh, and they literally did go to work uh, for the tobacco industry. Eddie Bernays uh, called this the business of public relations. And uh, he believed that uh, people were just too dumb to really govern themselves, and so you needed this uh, elite of hidden persuaders to make everything work smoothly. That wasn't the last time the public was sold on a war. No, it wasn't. Um, every war involves propaganda because uh, most people aren't too thrilled at the idea of uh, fighting and dying or sending their sons or daughters off somewhere to fight and die. Uh, all governments engage in propaganda, and uh, Eddie Bernays himself was visited in the 30s uh, by a reporter for the Hearst newspaper chain who just returned from a meeting uh, with uh, the Nazi propagandist uh, Joseph Goebbels. And this reporter informed Eddie Bernays that uh, Goebbels had an incredible library, even bigger than Eddie's library on propaganda, and that the Nazis were using all of Eddie's books. The idea that that uh, governments engage in propaganda to get uh, public support for war or to uh, try to uh, fool and trick enemies, uh, this is a constant with warfare. You talk in your book, we put, don't have time to go into today, though I'd, I would like to in the future, about the, the classic example of um, of the public relations firms being hired to get, get us involved in the first Gulf War back in 1991. But one of the most amazing stats from your book, Toxic Sludge is Good for You, is the fact that writing this 10 years ago, you noted that journalism schools are turning out more than half of their grads into public relations, and that there was at that point in time 150,000 people engaged in PR in the country versus only 130,000 reporters. Right. It's, it would appear that the number of people whose professional career is devoted to manipulating news and public opinion, that number is now significantly greater than the number of real working journalists in this country who are out there investigating stories and uh, writing and producing the news. Um, and we see 
uh, a, a real brain drain out of journalism and into public relations. Journalism is becoming an increasingly more difficult profession with tremendous pressure to uh, kowtow to advertisers, to bring in money for stations and newspapers. Uh, and uh, there's just a, a stream of people who leave journalism and go into the much more lucrative field of public relations. And in the case of these fake news stories, the video news releases, uh, one of the ironies is the news stories, even though they're extremely biased because they're paid for by a government uh, agency or special interest, the actual news stories are produced by former journalists working now in public relations. And the real journalists at the stations now take these fake news stories from the former journalists in public relations and air them as news. So it's, it's a bizarre Lewis Carroll type of world in the media. And when I speak to journalism schools and I ask journalism students how many of them are going to be journalists, a minority usually raise their hands. The rest are planning to go into public relations. And professors at schools like the University of Wisconsin will tell their journalism students that that's just fine. And they'll say to me, look, if I had to run my J school on the number of kids who want to be journalists, I wouldn't be able to run a journalism school. And they'll say there's really no difference between journalism and uh, public relations. It requires the same, same sorts of skills of researching and writing and producing a story. And I always say, well, that's sort of like saying there's no difference between accounting and embezzling because <laughs> it's really just the same skills. But, of course, it's completely the opposite. I mean, in a democracy, journalism is a sacred, a sacred trust. That's why we call it the fourth estate. Democracy is only as powerful as there is independent, courageous, investigative reporting. And to say that's the same as paid public relations is really a sad statement on our, our journalism schools and the state of our media. Well, even The Economist magazine, which is, which is quite conservative in, in its outlook, was quite critical of the Bush administration, noting in the, in the current issue that by going on record as saying there's nothing special about the press, in other words, what's the big deal about all these VNRs? We're just providing a service to the public. They note that Andy Carr, the White House chief of staff, was actually specifically saying he didn't think the press had a check and balance function, which is really a fundamental shift in attitude in the government. It's really very frightening. There seems to be little or no respect for the press. And frankly, the press is just uh, being consistently cowardly with this administration. One of the books that Sheldon and I wrote a couple of years ago was Weapons of Mass Deception, the Uses of Propaganda in Bush's War on Iraq. And our conclusion was that that war would have been impossible to sell to the American people had the news media, the mainstream news media, print and TV and radio simply done their job of standing up and contesting and questioning these claims that sold the war that we now all understand to be false. Uh, no weapons of mass destruction, no uh, support from Saddam for al-Qaeda, no link whatsoever between Saddam and 9-11. I say we all understand these now to be false claims because even the President of the United States has been forced to admit that. But just last week, the ABC Washington Post poll came out showing that today a majority of Americans still believe 
that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction uh, when the U.S. attacked, and that Saddam was somehow behind 9-11. It's frightening, isn't it? It's terrifying because these insinuations that sold the war uh, that are completely false, that were not challenged by the media, have stuck. And these lies have become truth in the minds of most Americans. Well, we're proud to say in this program that in the ramp-up to war, we were confidently telling our listeners that what they were being told was simply not going to hold water. It was not true. Let me, I want to bounce a couple people. As we blur this, this distinction here between PR and, uh, and actual reporting, there's, there's examples here of this Mr. Jeff Gannon, which got uh, quite a bit less publicity than I think it deserved. Do you want to talk a little bit about a fake reporter being given press credentials? The Jeff Gannon affair, I think, has been uh, underreported. And, of course, one of the problems in Washington is that uh, every branch of the federal government, the Supreme Court, the White House, Congress, the Senate, is now solidly in the hands of these far-right Republicans. And whereas in the past, uh, if the Democrats, for instance, had controlled uh, either uh, House of Congress, there might be investigations uh, we're just not seeing any investigations. Jeff Gannon uh, turned out to be uh, quite a bizarre character. He was a regular in the White House uh, newsroom, uh, let in uh, on uh, a day pass system, uh, approved by uh, Scotty McClellan. He would be asked uh, questions by the president, and he was known for asking these uh, softball questions and even making little speeches condemning the Democrats uh, he was a reporter, supposedly, for a, a Republican website called uh, Talon. And then it all fell apart when uh, it was discovered that his press uh, background was not only non-existent, uh, he was uh, using an alias, and uh, he was all over uh, pornographic websites as a uh, male stud for hire. That's family values for you. This is, uh, you know, the Family Values Administration uh, allowing this guy into the White House so he can toss softball questions to the President of the United States. Believe me, if this had been a, a Democratic president and this guy was asking uh, softball questions and he was part of the Democrats, the Republicans would, would be uh, filing for some sort of impeachment resolution right now. We're running out of time, I'm sorry to say. We, we have, please, please come back and talk to us again, particularly in May when we're going to do our second Mad Cow show. I want to put a plug in also for your excellent book, Mad Cow USA. Yeah, I would love to. That would be great. Final question about Armstrong Williams. What about paying a man a quarter of a million dollars to put forth administration policy? Is that a new low? That's a new low, but we don't know how many more Armstrong Williams might be out there because remember that New York Times has now reported that this administration has spent a quarter billion dollars on these organized public relations campaigns, and Armstrong Williams was actually a subcontractor from Ketchum Public Relations, uh, which has probably just itself received uh, over $100 million in contracts. And again, it comes down to the problem that even this three-page New York Times expose has just barely scratched the surface. And unless uh, the rest of the media and the New York Times itself begins to do more investigating uh, and the public becomes outraged, the extent of our paying tax dollars to propagandize ourselves is, uh, is going to continue to be covered up. 
Next week's program, we're going to talk to uh, Professor Ignacio Chapella from, from UC Berkeley about genetically modified organisms. I've been on a couple of panels over the years with uh, Ignacio. That's an amazing story. He's really a fine guy. I'd like you to come back and talk in a future show about, about greenwashing, about astroturfing, and how professors seem to be for sale across America to put out a particular perspective. Sure, Doug. I'd be happy to be your guest again. Our thanks to John Stauber, the author of Banana Republicans, How the Far Right is Turning America into a One-Party State. He's the founder and executive director of the Center for Media and Democracy. Well, thanks a lot, Doug. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Good night. All right, we always like to do little uh, funny bits from the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series, so I think we'll just take a couple minutes and add in um, a section titled Looney Laws. You have to wonder how much time they have on their hands at some of these legislatures across the nation. But here's some real laws. You can gargle in Louisiana if you want to, but it's against the law to do it in public. Beware. Now, if you find yourself in Jefferson City, Missouri, and you're tempted to anchor your boat to train tracks, please be advised you'll be breaking the law. And if you find yourself in Princeton, Texas, resist the temptation to throw an onion. That, too, is illegal. And in case you're in Hartford, Connecticut, and you're tempted to transport a cadaver by taxi, oh, and heck, who hasn't been in that situation? Be advised that you may be punished with a $5 fine. Now, the good people down in Orlando, Florida, apparently decided they needed to tighten up a few loopholes. Evidently, people had been tying elephants to parking meters and then not feeding the meter. Well, in fact, if you do that, you have to feed the meter just as if the elephant were a car. Feeding the elephant, well, that's quite a different matter. And our last two here. If you find yourself in Delaware and you're tempted to pawn your wooden leg, and once again, who hasn't found themselves in that position? Well, be advised, you just can't do it. It's against the law. And our final item and my personal favorite is that Kentucky law requires that every person in that state take a bath at least once a year. We presume whether they need it or not. Splish, splash, I was taking a bath. Long about a Saturday night yeah. A rub-dub just relaxing in the tub Thinking everything was alright Alright, that about does it for today's program. It's been a privilege to bring you the likes of John Stauber and Chris Mooney in years past, and we hope to bring you some more people of a similar caliber in the weeks, months, and years to come. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. And I want to thank Graham Smith for the great job he's doing in hosting this program on KDBS and KZFR. KZFR is having a pledge drive next week. We hope to be up there for it personally. And KDBS will be having an unusual fall pledge drive in November, which we will also participate in. These stations depend upon your support. Come on,